All right. Let me mention, too, I, I don't know if I turn this on. I am on. All right. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned, but we will be having a, a funeral um, supper, uh, dinner, uh, for, that, for the service there on Thursday, and we will be needing help. We'll get more details on that to come, but, uh, but I just want to mention that, let you know about that. And, uh, and so if you want to help out with that, um, you can, of course, see my wife, and, uh, and she'll be organizing those things. So I just want to mention that as well. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Chronicles chapter 21. And, uh, and we, are gonna, we got one last lesson on Elijah. You say, wait a minute, how can there be another lesson on Elijah? Uh, I mean, last week he was, he was taken up to heaven in the clouds. And, uh, and I found this very interesting. And, and I don't know that I noticed this before, uh, but there is a postscript of Elijah. Really, we have the writing of Elijah uh, and, and it's very interesting study, and uh, it's very characteristical of Elijah. Matter of fact, when, when I think of Elijah, I do not think of, a, of somebody who would sit down at a desk and write with a pen. Uh, Andy, that's just not what I think of. Elijah, uh, his ministry was very much portrayed as a very active, being out there, bold, outspoken prophet who would proclaim uh, boldly and courageously the word of God. That's kind of how I picture Elijah. Uh, but yet we are left with one of his writings that he did write, Second Chronicles chapter 21. And look with me in verse number 9. Um, we'll just, we're we're going to read a little, couple of verses here for sake of context, and you'll see where Elijah comes into it. But the Bible says there in, well, let's go back to verse number 8, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 21 and verse number 8. The Bible says, In the days the Edomites, in his days, excuse me, the Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoshaphat, Jehoram went forth with his princes and all his chariots with him, and he arose up by night and smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted from under the hand of Judah unto this day. The same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Let me just pause right here, give you a little bit of context of what we're reading. So Jehoram is the king in Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom uh, where Israel is the northern kingdom. Elijah uh, ministered primarily in the northern kingdom when Ahab was king. And he was, of course, a wicked king. We've looked at his life and we're familiar with his ministry and Elijah's ministry. Uh, and so this is taking place in the southern kingdom and it takes place uh, more so after the life of Ahab. So that's kind of where we're coming into this story. So let's continue. I stopped there in verse number 10. Let's pick it up in verse number 11. It says, Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but hast walked in the way 
of the king of, kings of Israel and has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab and has also and also hast slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. Thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. And let's stop right there. Uh, boy, what a, what, a, what a straight out letter. I mean, he is, Elijah doesn't mince words. And uh, before we go any further, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to study your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would encourage, bless, strengthen each and every person that's here, those who could not be here but are tuned in online. Father, I pray that you would help them, strengthen them. Father, again, we thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You read that letter and you're like... That's definitely Elijah. I mean, that is characteristical of Elijah. That just sounds like uh, Elijah. Uh, Jehoram was a wicked king in Judah. Uh, and Judah, again, was the southern kingdom. So the kingdoms had divided, and the northern kingdoms in the Bible, they're called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah, uh, and it contained Jerusalem. And I won't go into the history of how all that happened, but just understand that there were two separate kingdoms. And Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he was a good, godly king, a uh, good guy. And, uh, and so remember that part. And that was Jehoram's father. We'll talk a little bit about that. While Ahab, who was, of course, a wicked, ungodly king who brought Baal worship into uh, Israel, he was the king of the northern kingdom. And, uh, and so as we look at those two things, it, it's just really uh, amazing to look at how all of this plays out. And I want to encourage you, I didn't read the whole chapter for sake of time, but man, I'd encourage you today, take some time, go back and read that whole chapter. Uh, it, it is quite amazing uh, how the entire thing takes place. And, uh, and with a little bit of background that I've gave, given you, uh, I hope and pray that it will help it uh, become even more vivid in your mind uh, as to what is taking place. But it's a very clear chapter, uh, fairly easy to read and easy to understand. And, uh, but there's so many more lessons than I can cover in one little class uh, that, that are, are in this chapter. Uh, but I want you to notice as we look at this, I want you to notice the postscript. We see there in verse number 12, and there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet. And uh, this is a postscript uh, of service. And uh, there are some who would question. Uh, they'd say, wait a minute, uh, this, didn't, this didn't seem to take place in Elijah's lifetime. I mean, after all, Elijah had been trans transferred and taken up to heaven by the whirlwind. We saw that uh, in 2 Kings chapter number 2. And, uh, and so there's those who would uh, question and say, well, you know, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it was from Elisha. 
uh, or they'll find other reasons to rationalize away what the Word of God says. Listen, there are always people out there who are willing and trying to discredit what the Word of God says. I'm not one of them. Look at what it says in verse number 12. And there came a writing to him from Elijah. And so Elijah was the one that wrote this letter. Elijah the prophet. It's very specific about who it was. And, uh, and, and there's, uh, again, there are those who would seek to discredit, uh, but I believe it was Elijah. You say, well, how can that be? There are those who question it. There are those who question it uh, without a doubt. Um, there's a couple of things that you could say. Number one, uh, really the chronology of Scripture sometimes is not in chronological order. We know that. Uh, there's many passages. And so, uh, so, again, unless you spend a lot of time, and I did not for sake of time, unless you spend a lot of time digging back through and finding all the verses and putting together a chronological timeline, um, you know, I'm thinking, well, that could be one reason. Uh, if you take the time and study all that out, you might discredit that. Or you might find, well, maybe uh, that does line up, and that is a valid reason. I did, again, I did not take the time to do that, but that is something that could be done. So maybe chronology uh, could be a little bit off, and the timeline was not always written down exactly as it played out. Um, the second thing that I think it could be is, listen, it's very possible that Elijah could have written this letter before he was taken up to heaven. You say, wait a minute, how, how could that be? Listen, uh, how many times did Elijah prophesy things that had not even happened? He prophesied the death of Ahab. He prophesied the death of, of Jezebel. Uh, he prophesied many things. And so it's very possible that God gave Elijah uh, insight into write down this, this letter of, of condemnation really to Jehoram. Uh, and, and he could have very well got, been given by God the information to put into this letter. And so I wouldn't certainly rule that out as a possibility that God moved in a mighty way. Uh, but one thing I do know is that this is a letter that Elijah the prophet wrote and that he did send. Now I want you to notice the quality of it. Uh, Elijah's ministry was an excellent ministry. And uh, I mean, you constantly see him, as we've talked about it many times, the Lord said, and so Elijah moved. And he every time God said, Elijah went. Elijah was a very obedient prophet, even in the face of danger. Um, you think, boy, it would be exciting to go up to the king and put your finger in his nose and say, you're wicked and you're doing wrong and God's going to judge you. Yeah, that would be exciting, except for you have to remember, he's in charge of the entire army. And they may come after you afterwards. That's not so exciting, okay? And, uh, and Elijah faced that a few times. And so, uh, so Elijah was a very dynamic man of God who was greatly used of God. And as we read through this letter, you'll find, boy, it is to the T with Elijah's ministry, it lines up. It just is very fitting uh, that it's from Elijah. Look at how he starts it off there in verse number 12. Uh, and there came a writing to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying, look at how it starts off, Thus saith the Lord God. And Elijah, again, 
is a man of God. He was a man of God that followed God, that, that, that prophesied the Word of God to the people. And, uh, and so we find that that holds true even in his letter that he wrote to Jehoram, uh, this king. And uh, not only that, but look at what he says there. In verse number 12, continue reading, Thus saith the Lord God of David thy father, Because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Azza, king of Judah. Again, Jehoshaphat was a godly king. And, uh, and again, Elijah is saying, hey, look, you, you are not following in the path of your father. Your father was a godly king. In other words, you have strayed from the way. And you're, the way you're walking and the way you're living your life is ungodly and it does not line up with the word of God. Elijah, again, is very clear to denounce sin. Boy, you know, sin has to be denounced. It absolutely does. It, it amazes me. Um, I, I'm not big on naming names, and so I won't name names. But I'm telling you, a lot of churches and a lot of televangelists today tickle your ears. I mean, you listen to they. It sounds really good, everything they say. But they don't ever preach on sin. Hey, listen, God condemns sin over and over and over in the Word of God. And as a man of God, we are required to give you the whole counsel of God. And Elijah was very strong and very courageous and very bold in his pronouncements against sin at the highest levels of government and everywhere that he went, he was somebody that would stand strong against sin. Uh, too many churches today are just tickling ears. And listen, we need, to, we, need, we need to hear, well, God doesn't want that. And we ought to live our life right because God is not pleased with us living a life that would go contrary to his word. We ought to call sin, sin. And Elijah certainly does that uh, as we look at this, so we see that his postscript uh, of his service. I want you to notice Jehoram's pursuit of evil. Look with me in verse number 13. The Bible says, But thou hast walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and hast made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. We notice the life of Jehoram is that he is uh, pursuing evil on all levels. I mean, uh, it's much like in, the Bible says in Micah chapter 7 and verse 3, uh, that they do evil with both hands earnestly. Uh, boy, that is kind of how uh, Jehoram is living his life. Not just living his life, mind you. He is the king of Judah. And therefore, by being the king of Judah, he is not only uh, living his life that way, but he's exemplifying it and bringing it in to, the, to, to Judah, which had been a godly place up to this point. And uh, not, not perfect, I'm not saying that, but it certainly had a good heritage by and large, and, uh, and Jehoshaphat, his dad, was a good person. And uh, it's funny, but uh, if you are running headlong towards sin, it will not be long before you will run into judgment. It's just going to happen. It's bound to happen at some point or another. 
And, uh, and I'm a, again, I'm reminded of the verse, Numbers 32, 23, uh, the last part of it says, be sure your sin will find you out. And uh, Jehoram runs right into that. And, and before long, he is facing judgment. Before long, uh, this letter from Elijah uh, does come to him. Look at the inventory of his evil as we read that verse. I want you to notice the religions uh, that he brought in. He said in the middle of verse 13 there, And has made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab. What was it that Ahab had brought into Israel? Uh, it, was, it was Baal worship. Uh, you remember that was the biggest thing that Elijah was dealing with. And when he gathered all the prophets, he gathered 450 prophets of Baal and had that great showdown on Mount Carmel uh, because they were worshiping Baal and they were following false gods. And, uh, and listen, that was brought into Israel by Ahab. And we find that uh, here in this passage in verse 13 that Jehoram had done the same exact thing in Judah. And, uh, and he's brought all of this in. And so he was pushing Judah into Baal worship. And, uh, and the Bible is very clear there uh, that, that that's what one of the issues was. I want you to notice not just the religion, but look at his relatives at the last part of that. Verse 13, it says, And hast slain thy brethren of thy, father, of thy father's house. Look at this phrase. I find this interesting and curious which were better than thyself. Isn't that curious? And, uh, and God goes so much, and Elijah goes so far as to add the detail that, hey, not only have you pushed Baal worship in Judah and caused the entire nation to be bent and leaned towards uh, uh, idolatry and wickedness, but also you killed all your brethren, which were better than you. Boy, what a statement. Uh, you know, it's one thing in the Bible, and it's one thing in the world that, that somebody would kill somebody else, sometimes out of vengeance, you know. Sometimes somebody would push somebody to the point uh, where they would explode and even kill somebody else uh, out of revenge. And, and we think, well, I mean, it's certainly wrong. I'm not saying that that is right because it's still wrong, uh, but, but certainly we, we see that take place over and over. But that's not the case here. The case here is that he killed all of his brethren uh, because uh, he didn't want them ascending to the throne. He wanted to be uh, the king in Israel, or, or Judah rather. And, uh, and so uh, he wipes out the rest of his family. Boy, that takes, I don't even know the word, a special kind of sin to really wipe out your own family. And, uh, and we see that take place today. It's sad. Um, we see some of those things that, that happen, and, and I'm just saying that uh, it, it, was, it was wrong. Uh, it is wrong to kill, but it's especially wrong to take and kill your own family. And I find it's interesting that it does mention that his family was even better of it than him. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, in verse number 12, uh, the Bible says, Not as Cain who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Perhaps 
that phrase is left in there so that we can understand while his brothers were living a godly life and Jehoram was living a wicked life and because he was living a wicked life, the, the righteousness of his brothers condemned him, even if they didn't say anything. And he didn't like that, and it bothered him. And listen, the Bible talks about that in Proverbs over and over, that, hey, wickedness and righteousness don't go together. Matter of fact, uh, the righteous are often a snare to the wicked because it bothers them that they're living right and the, the wicked are not living right, and that just doesn't set well with them. And so we find that, uh, that he was a, Jehoram was uh, just really a wicked person. Uh, he pushed a new religion in Judah. He killed all of his brethren, his relatives and family that were there uh, because they were better than him and because they were righteous, kind of like Cain and Abel uh, that was bothered by his righteous works. But look at verse number six. What was the, we see the inventory of his evil. What was the instigator of his evil? What caused him? What, Jehoram grew up uh, under Jehoshaphat, a, a godly king. And, uh, and what caused him to go away, uh, awry? What caused him to go in the wrong direction? And I don't know that we could put our finger on everything of it, but I think the Bible gives us a little piece of detail here. In verse number 6, the Bible says, talking about Jehoram, and he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, look at what he says, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It just amazes me that here you have uh, Jehoram, who is a, a, uh, grew up under a godly king. Uh, for all practical purposes, we'll put it this way, he grew up in church and he knows what is right and he knows how to live right, but yet at the same time, he chose to pursue evil in his life. And maybe in his rebellious years, I don't know, or maybe it was an arranged marriage between uh, Ahab and, and Jehoshaphat, though I, I don't know that I could see Jehoshaphat going for that, uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, to try and unite those two kingdoms that had been divided for all this time, uh, we find that uh, for whatever reason, Jehoram ended up marrying Ahab's daughter. Anybody see a problem with that? Ahab was a wicked king. Jezebel was a wicked woman. And, and we find that they were wicked people in the country of, of Israel. We have studied all about their life, and that was really what Elijah had, had prophesied against and, and, and worked against. And so we find now that that is brought into Judah, into the southern kingdoms, as he's brought the, uh, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel into Judah, and he has married her. Well, you talk about a problem, and, uh, and you talk about uh, what the wickedness, it's certainly easy to see how it traces right back to it. Uh, I was reading some years ago, or I guess a couple weeks ago, not years ago, in Genesis, and I was studying uh, around Genesis chapter 6 and Noah, and, uh, and, and if you read through all of that, you'll find that, uh, that the, the Bible says that the... Uh, I forget how it's worded exactly, but the, the daughters of men uh, saw the sons of God and, and they married them. And the thought I had was this. 
Listen, when you have worldliness marrying with godliness, it's going to cause a problem every single time. You better be careful. Not, and it applies to physical marriage and marrying somebody that is lost and marrying somebody that doesn't know the Lord and is not following the Lord. But it also applies in philosophy and in principle that if we start adopting worldly philosophies and we marry them to Christian ideas, we're going to have a problem and worldliness is going to come about as a result of all of that. And we see that taking place right here in Jehoram's life as he married Ahab's daughter. And then we find that, uh, that, that it was inexcusable, uh, his wickedness. Um, Jehoram's wife was the epitome of wicked. And Jehoram had a godly father and upbringing. And certainly uh, that is true. And so we see his pursuit of evil. Jehoram was not a good guy. And, uh, and really, he had great opportunity, but he ruined it all in his choices that he chose in his life. Now, I want you to notice the prophecy of the judgment. Look at verse number 14, and we've already read it, but, uh, but it says there in verse number 14, Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods. The prophecy of the judgment. It's never an enjoyable task to denounce sin. And yet it's a necessary task. If you've, had, uh, if you've raised children, you know for a fact, uh, it's not an enjoyable task to tell them, hey, you are wrong, you're not doing this right, and this is the way you are to do it. That's not, I don't enjoy that. But it's a necessary task. The other day I was um, in a store, and, and, and it's, it's amazing. It, you know, you go out in the world, you see... And, and I saw this little kid, and man, he was running his parents ragged. And I thought, they've never taught him. They've never told him, you're wrong, I'm the parent, and you need to do what's right, and this is not right. Uh, you could just tell by the way uh, this kid was acting. And, uh, and listen, it's not an enjoyable task. Uh, but yet we see that Elijah does his job and he does denounce sin. Look at what he says there as we read it there in verse 14. He gives him the fact that, hey, his family is going to be destroyed. We see the destruction of his family, the destruction of his land. Most people in hearing, well, I'm destroying my own family. Well, put the brakes on, tap the brakes. We need to slow down. We need to think about that. If I am, if I am destroying my family... I need to think about that. Now, that being said, we do live in a very worldly, selfish society today that even some people do not even care about their own family. But listen, we kind of find that with Jehoram. I mean, here's the prophecy that God said, hey, I am going to destroy your family, your kingdom, your wives, and, uh, and your people. He said all of that in verse number 14. He said there's going to be a great plague and, and that you're going to lose a lot of things. Look with me in verse 16 and 17. We find that that takes place. It says, Moreover, the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and of the Arabians that were near the Ethiopians. And they came up into Judah and break into it and carried away all the substance that was was found in the king's house and his sons also and his wives so that there was never a son left him save Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. He lost everything. 
We see the destruction of his family. Look at the disease on Jehoram in verse number 15. And thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by reason of the sickness day by day. Boy, talk about a gross sickness. That's what Jehoram had. And, uh, and, and I'm glad they stopped at the detail there because that's enough for me. Uh, but, uh, uh, but listen, he, he was saying, listen, not only are you going, your family's going to be destroyed, but you're going to be diseased and, uh, and this is going to happen in your life. It amazes me uh, that, that Jehoram did not repent, did not turn from his wickedness. We see nothing, absolutely nothing written about any remorse, any repentance, any, uh, anything that says, well, I ought to turn to God. You don't find that. Matter of fact, look with me in verse number 18. The Bible says, and after all this, that would be the wars that took place and how everyone was taken. And after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable disease. Let me just stop there and say this, that if that happened in 2022, the doctors would not have been able to cure it. You say you believe that? Yeah, because it was an incurable disease. You know, there's many things that the doctors still have not quite figured out. They just haven't. Why? Because God knows things that we don't know. And, and it's high time that we acknowledge that. It, it bothers me. Hey, there are diseases that are prevalent in the sodomite community that don't exist elsewhere. There are diseases that are associated with sin that are not associated with everyone else. And I'm just telling you that God can and does use diseases sometimes as a judgment on sin. Now, that doesn't mean that all disease is a judgment of God. I've said that many times. And so I don't want you to think, well, I've, uh, I was sick with a cold. Is, is God judging me? Uh, well, I don't know. He may be or may not be. I can't tell you. Uh, you, that's between you and him, and you need to find out from God. Uh, is that a warning sign? Is he trying to uh, get your attention? Maybe he is. Maybe he is not. If you're living right, then maybe you just got sick. I don't know. But I am saying there are times when God definitely does use disease and sickness as a punishment on people. We see that in Jehoram, his disease. Uh, we didn't finish reading. Look with me there in verse number 19. I want you to see this at the beginning of 19. And it came to pass that in process of time, after the end of two years, his bowels fell out. Two years. He had plenty of time to repent. He had plenty of time to lay in his bed and seek counsel from God. He had plenty of time to get a hold of a, a prophet of God and say, listen, I, I want to get things right and I want this thing taken care of. And listen, God often gives us a window of opportunity. And there were two years and that's besides the amount of time. Hey, after the, the first thing that came was the war and that... Hey, in the letter, he said, hey, you're going to lose things. Your family's going to lose things. And people came in and they took all of his family. Hello, wake up. That's number one. He should have said, wow, um, you know what? Everything the prophet said is coming to pass. And the next thing that's going to happen is a disease. And for two years, he suffered with it. Wake up, Jehoram. God's trying to get your attention, but Jehoram was hard-hearted, stiff-necked, and refused to acknowledge God. And we find that God judged him. 
We find his, not only his destruction of his family, the disease, his disregard for prophecy, but look in verse number 20, the last, chap, last verse of the chapter. We find his disdain in burial. It says, oh, go with me to 19. It says he died, uh, pick it up at the last part of verse number 19. And his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers. There's a, something to do with an honor there in, in the in the, uh, in the in the burial that they had there in verse number 19. Look with me, verse number 20. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. Listen, Jehoram was despised by the people. They did not honor him in his death. They did not give him the honors. They did not bury him in the king's sepulcher. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he was not desired. In other words, when he died, probably Israel rejoiced, to be honest with you, or Judah and Jerusalem, saying, man, maybe we can get somebody in there that's righteous. Maybe we can get somebody in there that's going the right direction. He was disdained at his death. Hey, listen, God gave that prophecy to Elijah. Elijah gave that prophecy to Jehoram. And Jehoram absolutely rebelled and said, I'm not taking any of it. And he went the entire way. And it fell according to the prophecy of God. Because he didn't repent. God gave him time, but he didn't turn. Uh, he didn't accept uh, God. And he rejected everything that God said. What an amazing story, really. As we see the life of Elijah, what, what an incredible letter that he wrote to Jehoram, trying to reprimand. I find it interesting, listen, as, as Elijah ministered in the, in the northern country of Israel, he also was not ignorant of what was going on in Judah. And he kind of watched, and probably he was alive when Jehoram, uh, or on this earth, I should say, when Jehoram married Ahab's daughter. Uh, and he was probably very much so aware of those things that were taking place and the direction that Jehoram was going. And, uh, and we see all of that play out. And uh, what an incredible story. So many lessons that we can learn that we need to heed and follow the Word of God in our lives. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, what a... What a fascinating, fascinating chapter in the Bible. God, full of intrigue and interest and even science and, and medical things. And, and yet, God, we see your word stand so true. We see wickedness as men pursue wickedness at their own harm and injury. And yet they pursue it. God, I pray that you would help us to take warning and to live right and to heed your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be aware of you working in our lives. God, thank you for the warning that you, you even gave to Jehoram. Thank you for the righteousness of Elijah to stand and to reprimand and denounce sin. And God, it's, Elijah cannot control if Jehoram accepts it or rejects it. That falls on Jehoram's head. And God, as we read your word and we hear 
God, the things that are right and things that are wrong, may we heed your word. God, may we follow what you say. May we not be stiff-necked. May we take lesson at those who are stubborn and rebellious and hard-hearted and who will not bend or submit themselves to you. God, it's not a good thing and it's not a pleasant end. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help us to be submissive, help us to be followers of you. And, Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank God for the warning that he left us in a letter, much like Elijah called the Bible. Well, we need to read it. We need to heed it. We need to follow it. We need to obey it. I'm grateful that God gives warning. I'm grateful that God gave Jehoram two years of opportunity, probably more than that, really, if we dig in and find out how long between the time that he was attacked and the time that he got sick. God did open the doors and give him an opportunity. But Jehoram refused. May we not be stiff-necked, even over the smallest things. May we be submissive to God.